You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is the word of God. I asked James to read a, sto- uh, to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 10, not because that's what we're going to be looking at today, but simply because that passage tells us that all the stories of the Old Testament are for us. Some people call the Old Testament the Jewish scriptures. I have a little bit of pushback against that, okay? They're the scriptures for God's people. The whole Bible is for you. And the stories of the Old Testament are meant to teach us things, to learn from the mistakes of the people in the past, to follow the good examples, and to avoid the bad examples. The particular story we're going to be looking at today, and this is true to your bulletin, is from Daniel 3. Now, I'm going to ask you to humor me this morning in that I'm not going to read this story. I'm going to tell the story. This is because we've lived in Africa for 15 years. And in my time in Africa, I've learned that people engage much more to a story when it is told than when it is read. If you are a visual learner and you want to read, I encourage you to do so. But I would ask that you just check on it later instead of correcting anything I might get wrong in the story as, as, we, as we go along. But, uh, but please do. <clears throat> And just, just uh, listen with your ears and try to pretend like you're an oral learner this morning. The story concerns the greatest king of the greatest empire known at that time. His name was Nebuchadnezzar, and the empire was the empire of Babylon. Among his many conquests was the nation of Judah. And as Judah was conquered, certain exiles were taken back in captivity to Babylon. Some of the best and the brightest of the young men were drafted into King Nebuchadnezzar's government service. And among them were the three whom we know best by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's the story from Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of gold, 90 feet high. Obviously, that must have been including the base that it was, that it was upon. Right? But 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, image of gold. And then he called all his government officials, come to the dedication of the image of gold that I've set up. And so they all came. There was a herald there who made this announcement. When you hear 
the harp and the lyre and the zither and bagpipes and all this kind of music playing, every one of you is to bow down and worship the image of gold that I have set up. Oh, and just for added motivation, in case you don't bow down and worship this image of gold, you will be thrown into a blazing, fiery furnace. So everybody came. And everybody did. Almost everybody did as they were commanded. The music played. They fell down and worshipped. Everything was fine. Except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now certain people among the wise men of Babylon went and denounced them to the king. They said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, live forever. There are certain people among your subjects, the Jews, who do not obey you. They, do, they think nothing about your command. They don't worship your gods and they don't serve your image. Among them are three of your officials, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar was furious. His rage was just burning. And so he summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. And he explained again what was going to happen. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the music plays, if you're willing to fall down and worship the image of gold, fine. But if not, you will be thrown into a blazing, fiery furnace. And then what God is going to be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. The God we serve is able to save us. He can rescue us from your hand. And if you throw us into the fiery furnace, we believe He will rescue us. But even if He does not, know that we will not bow down and worship the image of gold which you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't used to having people tell him no. He got really angry. He ordered that the furnace be heated seven times beyond its normal temperature. And then he commanded some of the, the strongest men in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the fiery furnace. And so these three men, fully clothed with their cloaks and garments and hats and everything, were tied up with some strong ropes and thrown into the seven times hotter fiery furnace. It was so hot, in fact, that the people who threw them in died from the heat of the flames. Then King Nebuchadnezzar got up in amazement as he looked down into the furnace and he said to his advisors, didn't we put three men into the furnace? And they said, uh, yes, sir, of course. 
He said, but I see four men. They're walking around. They're not tied up. And the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. So Nebuchadnezzar got as close as he dared to that hot furnace and he called out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out of here. And they came out. And everybody saw them. And people were amazed because their clothes weren't scorched. Their hair wasn't singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They defied the king's command and would worship no other God besides their own. And he has rescued them from this fiery furnace. And I decree that anyone who says anything against this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no matter what people or what nation or what language he comes from, that person will be cut into pieces and his house will be turned into a pile of rubble because no God can save the way that this God saves. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. That's the end of the story. And there are a lot of lessons we could learn from the story. We could learn lessons about King Nebuchadnezzar. We could learn lessons about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the one I really want you to see in the story is the Most High God. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He is the one on whom we are called to focus. And as you look at the story, one of the attributes you see of this God is that this Most High God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. And that means that no problem that you face is too difficult for Him to solve. In our text, King Nebuchadnezzar arrogantly says, Who is the God? that will be able to save you from my hand. And they say to him, even if we're thrown into the flaming furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. The Bible is full of examples of God's sovereign power. When Sarah was 90 years old and told that she was about to have a son, you remember her response. She laughed with unbelief, right? But God rebuked her by asking the question that He continues to ask His children of every generation. Is anything too hard for the Lord? To the discouraged prophet Jeremiah, the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? When the angel Gabriel announced 
to the young teenage girl, Mary, that she was about to become the mother to the Son of God. And she didn't understand how that could happen. But the angel reprimanded her, saying, Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus once reproved his disciples, saying, What is impossible with men is possible with God. What is there in your life that you have come to believe is just too hard for God? Just too much for Him to handle? Maybe it's the healing of a broken relationship. It could be even with a spouse. Perhaps with a child or a, or a parent or a friend. Seems impossible. Or a health issue, financial problem. There are all kinds of things that come into our lives from time to time. And we pray about them and nothing happens. And somehow we just conclude, not explicitly, but maybe internally, that God just can't handle this one. You see, whatever impossibility you're, not, you're now facing, God wants you to understand this. That you can trust Him. You can trust Him for things that are far beyond your ability to accomplish. He wants you to know that His power truly is without limitation. And the knowledge of God's power is meant to fuel your prayer life. The true measure of your faith is your prayer life. Those who believe that God can change their circumstances are constantly bringing them before God in prayer, right? And when you get to the place where you no longer think that God can handle that or is going to do anything, you stop praying. My friends, God can work powerfully in your life, in your circumstances, for your good and His glory. And some of you might need to respond to today's message just by making a new commitment to pray about a situation you've given up praying for. No problem you face is too difficult for God to solve. Now that doesn't mean that God is always going to answer every prayer you pray in exactly the way you think He should. Because in addition to being all-powerful, God is all-wise. He knows what's best for you. My favorite part of the story is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, yes, our God is able to rescue us. But even if He does not, we're not going to worship that image of gold. You see, these young men, these young men, young as they were, realized an important truth. That even though God is all-powerful, 
they had no right to demand a miracle from God. God can do whatever He wants, but He works according to His own wisdom. And knowing that truth, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to trust God with their situation no matter what the result was. One day, a, a lady in a church I served as pastor verbalized a thought that perhaps many of us have entertained from time to time. Um, she said, if I were God, I'd do some things differently. Well, I, I certainly could affirm her feelings and I could, I could empathize with her because she was really hurting. But at the same time, I felt like I needed to challenge her understanding of God. And I told her, now, what you really mean is that if you had God's power and your wisdom, you would do some things differently. But, but the truth is, if you had God's power and wisdom, you'd do it exactly the way that He does. Be at peace, child of God. Your Father's power is unlimited, and He will use it in a way that He knows is best. Along with God's power and wisdom, we learn about God's sufficiency in this passage. God is all sufficient. He's all you need. Even if these men lost their lives, they would still have all that they needed. Because God was more important to them than life itself. They knew that God was all they needed. The Lord Jesus taught us to store up our treasure in heaven rather than on earth. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. And here in Arizona, the pack rats get into everything and muck up the works. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust don't corrupt, where, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. People whose treasure is on earth find its loss unbearable. But if your treasure truly is in heaven, you have nothing on earth to lose. One time in the course of my many travels, I was going through Istanbul, Turkey, and I had an extra day to kind of look around. And I made a point of going to see uh, the, the church where, uh, you may know this, but uh, Constantinople, the former name of Istanbul, was the first Christian city in the world. And I wanted to see the church where the great church father, John Chrysostom, preached. It had been made in a, a museum. I understand that as of July, the new Turkish government has turned it into a mosque instead of a museum. But at the time I went, it was a museum. 
And I went through there just thinking, just thinking about the faithfulness of God through all, all generations. Back in the 4th and early 5th century, John Chrysostom preached in that very city. One time, John Chrysostom was taken before the emperor. And he was commanded to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. The emperor said to him uh, that if he did not renounce Christ, he would be banished from his country forever. And he would be separated from his father's land for the rest of his life. And John answered, Your Highness, you can't do that. Because the whole world is my father's land. And then the king went on to say, Then I will take away all of your property and all of your treasures. He said, You cannot do that. Because my treasures are in heaven. And the emperor said, Then I'll send you to a place of absolute solitude where you won't have a friend, you won't have anyone to talk to. John Chrysostom said, you can't do that either because I have a friend, Jesus Christ, who sticks closer than a brother. In fact, He is my elder brother. And He's promised to be with me wherever I am. Finally, in frustration, the emperor said, then I'll just take away your life. And Chrysostom said, you can't do that either because my life is hidden with Christ in God. When your treasure is truly in heaven, you have nothing on earth to lose. One of my seminary professors was named Tim, Tim Keller. Some of you, I saw some books by him up here. Some of you may have heard of him. One of the things that he mentioned to us was about idols of the heart. And the way he defined an idol was that an idol is anything you think you need in addition to Jesus in order to be happy and content. Show me something you think you can't live without and I'll show you your idol. Dear Christian brothers and sisters, we need to repent of the idols of our heart. Jesus truly is all we need. A little girl was memorizing the 23rd Psalm and she got the words a little mixed up. But it ended up being quite profound. She said, The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. Oh, that we could honestly say the same. Oh, that we could find our sufficiency in God alone. Idols will disappoint you. They will rob you of the very joy they promised to give in the first place. Run to Jesus. And this all-sufficient God is always the same. And this leads to our next observation that God is unchanging. He is the rock of stability in an ocean of change. People in this story all change. The wise men 
whose lives were saved by Daniel and his three friends in the previous chapter, now take the opportunity to try to denounce uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in our story. King Nebuchadnezzar has emotions that are all over the map. <laughs> he starts with vanity and pride, setting up a gold image of himself for people to worship. From there he goes to furious anger when someone dared defy his command. Then to utter amazement as he looks down and sees the four men in the fiery furnace. And finally, to unbridled praise as he ends up saying, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because no other God can save in this way. He's changing, but God never changes. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God is not a man, Moses wrote in Numbers, that He should lie, nor the Son of Man, that He should repent. Does He speak and then not act? Does He promise and not fulfill? And the writer of Hebrews reminds us, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can depend on God because He never changes. His attributes, His Word, and His promises are always the same. And because He's unchanging, He's absolutely faithful. So we can approach Him with complete confidence. Finally, I want you to see from this story that God is with you. No matter what the situation, child of God, your Father is always there for you. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After the three men were thrown into the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, in his amazement, saw four men. And he said the fourth looked like the son of the gods. Well, there's a very good reason for that. Because I believe the fourth was the Son of God. A pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Often in the Old Testament when you read the angel of the Lord. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Can't be sure if it was really Christ there. Or an angel representing him. But the truth of the matter is. That God's presence was with these three men. In the fiery furnace. God was with them. Even in the flames. You know He's with you? Do you know He's with you? He's with you through COVID-19. He's with you through the turmoil of change in our lives as a church. He's with us. He's with you in those situations that you thought impossible, 
He's with you in the racial unrest and civil unrest we find our country to be in. He's with you even though the bitter political arguments rage back and forth. He's with you. He says as much in Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Psalm 34 verse 7 tells you that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and He delivers them. Nothing can happen to you unless God allows it. Nothing can happen to you unless it passes through the nail-pierced hands of your loving Savior first. And nothing can come into your life not only without God's permission, but without a good, wise purpose from an all-powerful, all-wise, and all-loving God. I can't tell you always, and you won't always even know, the specific purpose that God has for you in any particular trial. But in a more general sense, you can know this. Because the book of Zechariah tells us why God brings His people into the furnace of affliction. He says, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on My name and I will answer them. I will say, they are My people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Did you notice that the only thing in the story that burned on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the ropes that bound them? When you go through the furnace, God wants to set you free from something that's holding you back in your Christian life. And growth. When we undergo the fire, it's to purify us. The road to freedom leads through the furnace. But it's not the flames that bring freedom. Real freedom comes from the one who's with you in the furnace. Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that He has undergone the most intense, painful, fiery trial imaginable. All according to the will of God so that you and I could be forgiven. And not just forgiven, but free. Jesus Himself said, if the Son will set you free, you will be free indeed. 
Jesus willingly submitted Himself to the fire of the cross so that He could come alongside you as a sympathetic high priest and walk with you through the fires that God has ordained for you. With Jesus, you can find freedom even in the furnace.